Eternal Dirtles is a podcast sponsored by Paragon City Games and supporters like you. Come to our Patreon at patreon.com slash eternaldirtles and support us. Thanks. So many changes, sign up for the tourney and ask my team. Is Legacy really just a dying scene? London Mulligan making Grizzle Brand OP, mold to oblivion from a hate piece. Still I'm getting wrecked by what Khan creates, lattice locked like a chump who tried to innovate. New Teferi says instant speed's no go, Narset cast brainstorm, hell no. Modern Horizons added to the mix, giving all the bad rug decks Renin 6. Cascade retrace, your Strix is dead. Dread Horde Arcanist is good, Nate said. Yog Moth's a dope fast ramp position. Put Nick Fit right back in position. To lose two Lions, I Diamond, Eon's Echo. Shuffle up, draw tendrils, oh hello. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Legacy with all these changes simultaneously. I'd love to go back to how we played as kids, but formats change, and that's the way it is. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going? Nate's out this week. It's good, man. It's good. Yeah, he's at a wedding. He's he's seeing romance at its peak, people tying the knot, and we're going to be here talking about the metagame, which is way more exciting. Yep. I know a lot of times people say to me, uh, you always say, with me as always, uh, and, and sometimes the other people aren't always there. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. I, I get that, but that's my that's my Wayne's world coming in, and I'm just gonna always say it. Yeah, with me as always, <laughs> and then eventually you're gonna be like, nobody's with me this week. It's yeah. me going by myself. I've done that one time, and that's when you came on the week after. Yeah, I was you like, were like Dude, this we, is tragic. You can only be partially incorrect when you say with me as always. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but uh. So yeah, uh, I think this week what we should talk about is uh is is what the legacy metagame kind of looks like right now. Yeah, so I wanted to uh, talk about the metagame too because there are people are still experimenting with all these new cards. And uh, Corset 2020 just came in, and we haven't seen any uh, of those cards really break through yet. Uh, I know we talked a bunch about the three mana Chandra potentially being a player. Uh, that card hasn't showed up quite yet. Nope. Um, but there are two major legacy events uh, happening uh, in September in back to back weekends. So the second weekend in September is SCG. Uh, Syracuse, which is a legacy event, and then uh, there's the GP or the Magic Fest uh, in Atlanta the following weekend, the third weekend in September. And uh, I think people are going to uh, there's going to be a lot of preparation going into that tournament, oh, yeah. and there's a lot of experimentation in decks that we'll talk about. And I'm curious to see if we can project what decks are actually going to stick what new decks are going to stick come that tournament and what we're likely to run into. Uh, Cause looking at the metagame breakdown right now from the previous uh, legacy GP, there's a bunch of, I guess decks that weren't really seeing play at all that are being propped up from new cards. And then a bunch of decks that just have fallen off the map. Yeah. Uh, so uh, where do you want to start? Let's well okay so let's do the quick breakdown of uh, the the top eight decks from MTG Goldfish and I also want to compare that to the top decks uh, that are on MTG top eight as well. I think we to, should yeah yeah just to get a quick a, a quick look at both of them and kind of compare and contrast. So I'm gonna yeah. just real quick raffle off the top eight decks uh, from uh, MTG Goldfish. I'll do the same thing over at MTG top eight. 
So uh, Goldfish has, is it Delver, Team or Delver, Miracles, Elves, uh, Grixis Control, uh, Death and Taxes, Ad Nauseam, Bantley of Old, uh, and, and there's a hard cutoff, which is kind of nice. Uh, those we, two we should just sort of uh, determine that the Bant-Leovold deck is really just Maverick yeah. splashing for black in the board. Yeah, and, and this particular look doesn't even have Leovold in it, which is sort of funny. But yeah. uh, the, the deck generally plays uh, Leovold uh, splashed off of uh, like either one blue land or uh, off of a Tyrarchs. Yeah. Uh, so uh, going over to uh, MTG Top 8, it uh, looks like the top eight decks uh, hereabouts are at 9%. Uh, Blue-White X-Control, so Miracles. Uh, you got Blue-Red Delver. Um, we should call that Arcanist Delver at this point. Um, then at 6%, Death and Taxes. Uh, 7%, Grixis Control. That's four decks. Uh, Stoneblade and uh, Show and Tell are tied at 5%. Um, percent. And then you've got uh, 4%. Uh, you got lands, reanimator, dark death, storm. Yeah. Uh, just uh, essentially like you have a bunch of um, like the not most played decks. You have like those the the fringier tier. They're not tier two, but like in terms of seeing uh, like percentage of play. Yeah. Uh, those tier two decks, and then everything kind of falls off the map. You have burn that sits like right behind that, but I think that's just because it's a budget deck and it's easy for people to get yep. uh, a lot of games in really quick. And then you have the people who always play elves. Uh, and then Infect is sort of ticked up a little bit. Yeah. I think here the, the thing we can take away from the MTG Top 8 list is they haven't really updated for like a couple of days because we're seeing some uh, like real trends over here on uh, a Goldfish. Yeah. Um, and, and those trends aren't reflected yet in uh, MTG Top 8. So, so they might be still gathering data or whatnot uh, from, the, from the prior weekend. Yeah, that um, makes sense. So uh, for, for that, with that said, uh, let's let's lean on the data we're getting from MTG Goldfish for now, uh, and and we'll pull some decks occasionally from uh, MTG Top Eight. Um, I think the 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 big winner of all of all of this like current metagame shift is obviously Rug Delver. Yeah, Rug Delver seemed what we were discuss, discussing last cast where we were going through the ins and outs of Ren and Six and how it's been tested from everything from aggro decks to control decks and you know everything that shouldn't have red and green in it to everything that does have red and green in it uh yeah rug delver has definitely been been one of the biggest gainers uh and surprisingly enough off of that uh one of the decks so rug delver is one of the biggest gainers and we can talk about obviously i, I mean it's really just ren and six and then maybe like oof and uh force of uh vigor in and Force like, of Negation I, is seeing play occasionally Force as well. Force Negation, yeah, is like an additional combo hit card. Yep. Um, and then the the biggest drop off the map has been, I mean, it's still there. It's sitting at 5%, but the biggest uh, loser since Modern Horizons has been Stoneblade. Uh, I, I want to point out also, aside from Stoneblade, uh, it looks like Death like Death Shadow just not on the map at all. Death over Shadow there. is, yeah, Death Shadow is nowhere to be seen. Yeah, which, I mean, it, it sort of makes sense because... Death Shadow, you know, it makes a giant dude, which is great. But uh, if you compare that to the decks that are be that are in the number one spot, you know, like is it Delver? That deck can just dome you out of nowhere uh, for for like six damage off of a lightning bolt and, atta and attack with uh, its Arcanist. So I, I can see why uh, you don't want to play. I mean, in a burn heavy meta, uh, especially when the the burst damage is so high, uh, De Death Shadow might be bad. Yeah, there's that. Death, I mean, Death Shadow, we're lo looking at the percentage. It's literally just, it's dropped all the way down to 1%. Yeah. Uh, 
I think the other reason for that, though, is that if you're playing your Delver decks, uh, right now Arcanist is just like the new hotness in Blue Red Delver if you want to have basics in your deck. And then Rug Delver getting the push because of Renin Six. And I think that both of those decks now are just doing enough that where Shadow, you have to play uh, a bunch of cards that work alongside Shadow that I agree that just puts you in range of you can just get burned out a lot. Yeah. Uh, easier. Uh, the other side of it, though, is that with Renin Six in Rug Delver, it just gives an access to win where you don't actually have to win through damage. Like, Renin Six just being able to waste lock people means that Rug Delver, as a Delver deck, has a different access to win on than it never had before. Yeah, I mean, it can go the long game, which is one thing, right? Uh, but on top of that, you have, you know, uh, the best way to prepare against a, an opponent's Renin Six is by having your own. And Death Shadow is a deck that does not have access to that card. And it's also a deck that doesn't really play any basics. And if they yeah, did, no they weren't happy about it because you were playing Snuff Out and Days. And when you're looking at, like, Basic Island and Snuff Out in your hand, like, that's pretty awkward. Yeah. I mean, I played the the not, the no uh, Dual Land version that did play uh, one island and one uh, swamp. But, yeah, it got awkward occasionally. Yeah, at least if if you can get to two mana and and land a Ren and Six against an opposing deck that's trying to waste lock you, at least you can mitigate the fact that you're getting wastelanded every turn because then you can at least stay at mana parity, and they're using their their land drop every turn to keep cutting you off, yeah. and eventually they may just move away from that if you can just function on two mana without any issues, which that deck does. Yeah, I mean uh, that's Delver, uh, Rug Delver by itself. It's funny. That, yeah. it's, it's funny too. Uh, that they're sort of right now, uh, if if we look at this this meta, there are basically two different flavors of of Delver kind of uh, converging here, uh, or digressing, I should say. Um, you have uh, Dreadhorde Arcanist, and you have Renin Six, and they kind of they don't play well together, obviously, because eventually you're going to want to be able to cast all your spells out of your yard with either one of those, and mm -hmm. you kind and they you know one removes them from the game, so uh, that doesn't work. So it's kind of funny that. Uh, that's you know that's sort of the the play is like you either go Ren and six and you deal with the land situation, or you are playing a uh, what what is now a much more aggressive version of of blue red delver that plays the four chain lightnings. Uh, you know, you, you, it, it skews uh, it, it skews a little bit of interaction just to be able to play like four preordains. There's so much more air in this deck now because you're able to maximize uh the the value there off of your dreadhorde arcanist. Yeah. That, all, that and also uh, how a bunch of other decks are having to be, adapt to the Renin 6 uh, adoption into the format. Uh, I think Blue Red Delver is just one of those, is the type of deck where it just doesn't really have to care all that much because the only thing that it hits, I guess it can hit your young PZ, but if you can cash your young PZ in, then you can uh, tax the Ren 6 by going a little wide. Yeah. And then, obviously, Arcanus doesn't care about it. Yeah, True Name Nemesis definitely doesn't care about it. <laughs> in fact, you know you know what I should say is Arcanus actually doesn't mind a Ren 6 on the board if it's on the play, right? Because uh, you're you're getting that value off of your bolt and the attack. If your opponent's not able to block, uh, that's 4 damage, which is what Ren 6 would be ticking up to. Yeah. Off of the bolt, you know, you're like, oh, bolt, attack for 1, get your Ren 6 off the board... And I'll also bolt you, you know, the, so the, I think that that's one of the reasons why Blue Red is, is like slightly ahead as far as this is concerned. 
yeah, just being able to go dome and the fact that it has a bunch of ways to fight over a planeswalker. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to worry about it, honestly. Like if it, if 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 it gets if it's early enough in the game, you're just like, I'm just gonna just chain lightning, lightning bolt you out of the game. It doesn't matter if you have a ultimate on your planeswalker, it, you're dead. Well, also because it can it can just functionally operate on an island and a mountain. Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't it does not worry about your wastelands either. Yeah, so it, it can cut that axis, assuming that it, you know, can open its mana. It can develop its mana without having to fetch uh, bulks. And the fact that it plays its own wastelands against a deck that is pretty susceptible to wasteland. On top of that, well, yeah, uh, does it doesn't. You all, have. There's no team or Delver deck that plays a basic island, right? No, Not I anymore. mean, if if we did a basic anything, it would be a basic forest because that's the thing that. No, uh, that can't be right. Yeah, yeah, you play. You, you used to play a basic forest in your board because uh, people would, uh, or or you'd play like one taiga, uh, because people would uh, wasteland your trop and then uh, get rid of it, and you don't, basically at that point you'd only have four win conditions in your deck. Oh yeah, I guess you're making me think of. Uh, I remember when. Uh, Life from the Loam was a sideboard plan for Rugdelver for a little while. Yeah, well, the thing is, is if they surgical your tropical island, you have no green sources anymore. So the you'd idea here is yeah. you got to play. You got you you would put a forest in your board. You weren't super happy about it, but occasionally, like if I if I saw a lot of Blood Moon decks going around, or if I saw uh, t Pox is is very common. It was very common uh, in in my meta for a while. Yeah. So I'd have to play one you know one basic forest. And then when I fetched out, uh, you know, because they, they'd be like, aha, game's over. I'm going to just wait, you know, like, I'll get you with, uh, I'll take out all your green sources. And I'd be like, okay, I'll fetch a forest. And they couldn't even interact with my forest, so I'd still be in the game. Um, also, uh, you know, I should say, that I think that's another reason why uh, Teamer Delver's on, on the uptick right now. Is because, uh, aside from uh, Renin 6, uh, it got, it got uh, you know, obviously... Uh, force negation but force of vigor gets it out of one of its worst matchups which is the blood the blood moon style decks the chalice blood moon decks where it can get rid of a chalice or a blood moon without actually having to have access to colored mana yeah i'm and looking at the uh metagame of those the the chalice blood moon decks they aren't really anywhere yeah. like they're like they're there but i i feel like i i know i'm biased towards where I think I I think about that type of deck more than what these percentages warrant. Yeah, two point eight, two point eight in the meta. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't know how like you know on online you're probably more likely to see them, uh, because they're just they're relatively easy to build. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, at a big event, it just comes down to like trying your best to not be in a situation where, when your opponent plays a card, you scoop with rug delver you know like yeah. and that's the the that's why like you know i was saying like sometimes you have to go okay well screw it i'll play one forest in my in, in my sideboard so that i don't lose to blood moon decks uh you know or uh i'll have uh some way you know maybe i'll play a shatter so i can get rid of a shatter effect so i can get rid of a, a turn one chalice you know and yeah. so those those things uh you have to you have to figure out some way around them and with force of vigor, you get you get an answer to both those. When you're thinking about, uh, we're like we're looking at percentages, and both of these are for the most part online metagames percentages, just because yeah. there's more legacy played online than there is in paper. Uh, do you, when looking at cards to like decks and card choices that uh, to adapt 
to a metagame. Obviously, you have to do that if you're playing online because of the online metagame, which we're looking at that you're going to run into. But do you have to recalibrate that when you're thinking people are just going to play whatever they're going to play and that they own in paper? Oh, for sure. I mean, there are people that just have their pet decks, right? Like, Right. What what are the specific things that you uh, adjust uh, with your card card choice? I mean, if you're running a proactive main deck, like it's probably going to be more or less the same outside of a flex slot or two. Yeah. And but primarily the sideboard. What are you thinking more essentially what is the thing that you uh change or alter in your card choices to reflect the difference in the metagame between the faster moving online and the slower moving paper? I think well, so obviously you gotta you gotta devote sideboard slots to your bad matchups, right? Like you just kinda have to. Even though they're even though they're bad matchups and you're likely gonna lose them, you don't want to auto scoop. Those matches? Well, if you're if you're is is there rationale to like let's say you're playing you you can't beat like you said you can't beat uh the the chalice blood moon decks mm-hmm. right uh how in paper do you think you're you're likely to run into more of that in paper than you are going to run into it online i you know i i, I don't know i i think i i tend to I feel like I tend to get ba- bad matchups more often. Thing here's what here's what comes down to: you have to think about where you're going to be in round three, right? Like right. if you get an if you get like neutral matchup, neutral matchup, uh, neutral matchup all the way through the the tournament, the I the onus is on you to lose those matches, right? But uh, you know you get to you get to round three when when other people that have buys and stuff come come back into the into the game. And let's say you had to work for your uh, for your uh, wins, right? What I like to think of is if I didn't have to play the first two rounds, what would I be playing as my opponent, right? Because you don't have to worry about getting weird matchups uh, if you are, you know, if you're constantly winning. You know, you're going to continue to play these top eight decks for the most part, right? Um, sure. But if yeah. if you go into round three. And the first thing you do is you go up against, Tom, you know, Tom Ross, right? Like, you're like, oh, man, I didn't devote any of my sideboard to Infect. Oh, no, you know? So you got to right. think about what, what if, if you're winning in round in round one and round two, right? And you go into round three, you basically have to start the, t- the tournament over again against against what you can expect from your matchups, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious... So here, here's another uh, facet of the question: is when you're thinking about devoting cards to bad matchups or devoting cards to, for matchups that you know you're going to play against, uh, are you thinking in paper that you have to devote answers to specific cards, like "Oh, I need this to answer Chalice," or are you more so looking then for broader answers, like "Oh, I need a, a, the best." card for my way to deal with artifacts it's it's are are you breaking down your sideboard like this is for chalice decks this is for miracles decks this is for you know whatever as opposed to this is for decks that are uh uh based on artifacts these are ones that are based on uh planeswalker style permanence these ones you know or is it broader on paper when you're i mean it's it's a yes and answer it's the improv answer right like so for me it's uh, I, I look at all the matches that I expect to see at that tournament, right? Sure. And, and and I include my bad matchups in that. So I look at, like, the top eight decks. I include a couple of bad matchups as well. And mm-hmm. I try and produce a sideboard plan uh, across 15 cards for all of those so that I know what I'm taking in and taking out. And when I get to a point uh, with 
uh, the decks that I think I'll see the most and the, the, the decks that I, I might not see, but I know that I'll, I have very bad matchups against, I'll always try and skew, uh, skew towards the decks that I'm going to see more often, but I want to have a plan against the decks that I won't see. So I try and make sure that maybe if I'm not playing the optimal sideboard card against the best decks, that sideboard card is also good against the, the, the decks that I'm going to, uh, you know, I, I think I have a bad matchup against as well. Yeah. So a uh, perfect example is Force of Vigor, right? So if uh, I'm worried about, uh, you know, getting rid of my opponent's artifacts in a normal matchup, let's see, uh, let me find a, uh, you know, uh, okay, so like Grixis Control is a great example, right? I don't need to get rid of my opponent's uh, Baleful Strix, but it's probably better to play Force of Vigor against this deck than it is to play, like, Dazed, right? Um, I'm going to get them occasionally on a Dazed, but, like, I'm probably going to side them out on the play. I'll probably bring you in... You mean the draw? Uh, yeah, on the draw, yeah. And I'll probably bring bring in, like, a Force of Vigor or two just to be able to, like, hit uh, a Strix instead of losing my Tarmogoyf, right? Um and that's not great. It's not great. It's not card parity per se, right? I'd be you know, better off playing be bringing like bringing in Blood Moon against you. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Also, sometimes they bring in Blood Moon. Uh, but um, you know, it's it's not as good as say like Ancient Grudge against this deck, right? Because I'm right. I'm basically at card parity when I cast an Ancient Grudge against a a Baleful Strix. But uh, you know, uh, Ancient Grudge doesn't get rid of Blood Moon, right? Like, so I've got to I've got to sort of take take those into consideration, like what I what I side in. Uh, normally versus like what works better uh, against a, a wider swath of decks, mm-hmm. um, and and occasionally that's going to lead me to to losing losing a point here get here or there against those decks. But I find that when you uh, are effectively using your sideboard all the way, and especially when you actually get to see and cast your sideboard cards, uh, you're going to be happier about having those answers over the course of the tournament than like ha- being like, oh, I definitely like got card parry against this guy's baleful tricks and you know, then you still attacked in for four with your Tarmogoyf, you know? Should uh, decks that are playing white move heavier into Rest in Peace in a format that's still open? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely. Like, Rest in Peace uh, Rest in Peace is so good against Ren and Six decks right now, especially because if you look at the, the sideboard for so many of these Team or Delver decks, they're not playing Force of Vigor, so they have no way of really removing it outside of, I think, Cinder Vines, right? And not everyone's gonna think, oh, playing against white, I should bring in Cinder Vines, you know. Um, I I really think that uh, Rest in Peace is super underrated right at this at this particular moment, and I think that that's that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, uh, Renin Six is is going to have its heyday for probably a couple more months, and then people are just gonna be like, okay, time to shut that down. Well, I was just thinking of I'm trying to see what is the cross section of where all of like what what's the axis of the game that all of these decks have in common all these top decks at least uh obviously miracles a little bit less so uh but all of the delver decks whether it's with arcanist or with uh ren six and uh mongoose uh grisha's control on snapcasters and k commands uh and lilian and germag angler there there's a lot of subtle graveyard interaction Mm -hmm. that if you shut them down you can really blank a bunch of just cards yeah. that that are are are, are underpowered yeah ambush viper is not playable the, in legacy yeah that they're exposing you know? the graveyard yeah uh and so i'm almost curious if there's uh if there's any way that these 
decks can exploit the fact that there's a bunch of decks, including fair decks, that are leaning way heavier on the graveyard than they normal than than of metagames past. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that there, well, one of the things is like if you look at some of the some of the other lists that are out right now, you know, there's a guy playing three red and six, but he's also playing four hex drinker, right? And so he's already kind of ready for that metagame. For that, li- for people to play like you know, Leyline of the Void against him, or uh, to play, uh, you know, Rest in Peace. So Hex Hex Drinker is, is an odd choice, I think, but like that's a card that like works well against that that particular scenario. Yeah. Now that we've had, I, I I'm bouncing around a little bit, but now that we've had uh, the London Mall uh, instated, and there's only been so much. Obviously, like this meta game is not going to be reflective of a London Mulligan meta game. How much? What, what what decks do you think are gonna uh, hold their position versus gain or lose position with the London Mall? I still think that Show and Tell is going to come out on top with the London Mulligan as people figure figure out the meta because yeah. the deck the deck doesn't isn't as susceptible to to hate as as uh you know at least not like turn one hate that like you deal with with um what's it called uh, uh reanimator decks you know. Yeah. So I think I think reanimator decks benefit a lot from the London Mulligan rule because you can get you can easily set your hand up for a turn one like gotcha. Um, but you know knowing knowing in game two that that's what's going on, aren't you just gonna try and mulligan to your leyline of voids? And that deck doesn't have a real great way of dealing with a leyline of void. Yeah. Oh, uh, here's you know what deck what what is probably I, I would actually bet is going to increase. From the London Mall, I agree with Show and Tell. Obviously, like Show and Tell was putting up insane numbers when they were testing the London Mall across uh, Moto. Mm-hmm. Uh, but another deck that uh, I think is going to get a boon from—I mean, I've never uh, played it—but I think Death and Taxes is going to get a nice boon from that too because they're a deck where the percentage that they win when they have Vile in their opening hand versus when they don't has got to be a substantial margin, right? They definitely gain gain points on on having the vial in the opening play. Um, I think also to that end, uh, Eldrazi. Uh, you know. Yeah, any Chalice deck is also going to get a push. Yeah, and and just being able to like draw like oh look at that I got uh you know a turn one Chalice followed by a turn two, uh, Thought Not Seer, which is often good enough to beat many decks. You know. Yeah. Are we... support from our subscribers believe when we say you'll win all your die rolls and be on the play patreon it's only one click away patreon head on over and donate to patreon there won't be any misplays support eternal turtles podcast today are you surprised at all? I mean, I'm just bouncing back and forth from the break de- from the metagame breakdown. That, I mean, uh, Narset clearly has a solid home in mm-hmm. any blue board and is a mainstay in Miracles main boards. But Karn is nowhere. Karn the Creator is nowhere. Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't think that those were real decks before. You know, like the Karn the, the you're talking about the Karn that gets that gets lattice the Karn lattice lock style thing. Yeah, I just don't think that deck was real. Or I just mean that any any deck that could support Karn and would be interested in 
having that kind of utility in you know whatever ancient tomb deck you're playing it's just like he is nowhere yeah Karn i is, mean Karn is nowhere he's he's being played in in the mono red prison deck and that's pretty much it he's but he is, he is a four of i mean he, yeah he's being played in that and he's played in painter and i mean painter is is a percent of the metagame it's it's you know i mean that's as far as i'm concerned it's a blood moon deck like the, yeah that's people who are committed deck. to it sure yeah and then yeah and then there's the well you just mentioned the chalice decks so it's, i mean he just doesn't have any home outside of no uh, i mean i think that's fine that's that's where his home is is like oh whoops you lose the game uh dot deck which is the you know the the trinosphere uh chalice of the void blood moon decks like the those decks you know sure if you want to like if you didn't turn one chalice chalice or uh blood moon lock me or magus of the moon you know lock me then later on in the game when you play a card and it's just like four you've got 12 ways to like get me out of the game and and you know 13 to 16 if you're playing uh, magus of the moon as well is there any do you, do you think that I, I i don't know if people just haven't experimented with it at all do you think that there's any home where karn can just be in like a blue based control deck that uses him as a uh, one card combo finish i mean i don't think people have experimented enough with uh tesserator with urza do you think it's the lack of experimentation or do you think people have tried and failed i i don't think people have gotten a chance to try and fail yet i i think that they i think that the meta was in a weird place to begin with um i i mean look at that like there was that uh list i don't know what six seven months ago that top aided uh baltimore that was playing uh playing uh what uh the great the the uh antiquities war right yeah um and and so i think that decks like that can exist especially i mean the, the they're basically just a different flavor of the of the prison deck right yeah um, well i'm asking like is there a, a do you think karn is enough to push that that style of deck into a consistent metagame slot or do you think that that's really just like a flash in the pan had a good weekend i mean i, d I definitely think right now it had a good weekend i think that it's very hard to decide that you want to play blue and you don't want to play brainstorm in your blue deck right like there there's there's one there's just the dark side push of of like why am i playing blue mana and not playing uh brainstorm but there's also the fact that like there's just better ways to play that style of deck in okay, the so, form of blood moon and mags of the moon and chalice right i guess i guess that takes me to the question is do you think that karn creator because, I mean, we agree that Karn Creator's power level is uh, legacy playable, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So do you think it's just a matter of, is there no separating Chalice from Karn? I don't think so. I don't think there's, I, I, like, what are you saying? Like, oh, maybe play it in Miracles? No, no, no. I just mean, is is there, I mean, maybe, is there another, is there a non-Chalice control deck that would be interested in Karn? No, I don't or think so. Or do you think I... they're, they are just in tandem, like, it's a it, this is the uh slew of chalice decks and karn is just a flavor of them rather than karn is powerful enough to just generate his own kind of control deck yeah i mean you gotta play you gotta play karn in a deck that is going to have artifacts already if if you want to do that so like this is the do most you? I obvious mean, he, he, he wishes for artifacts yeah yeah that's what i'm saying like you you know like you're gonna you're gonna want to be able to to like you, I, I don't know do you think that like it's a good idea to play this in like something like you know like i said before like miracles and just try and like lock your opponent out of the game with a I mean, i'm trying to think of like from from theory crafting the idea that he is one he's a null rod right and mm -hmm. if you're playing a control deck 
playing against death and taxes where you shut off vial and equipment playing against combo where you can shut off uh mana rocks uh like that's not incidental in terms of like a portion of the metagame that you're likely to run into and then as a control deck being able to pull a card out of your sideboard to deal with you know whatever the problem is yeah is is really appealing to me in a way where it's like if you're already on narset in that style of deck to be able to to search up your car in the same way that you would search up any other planeswalker it's almost as if having more utility into being the reactive control deck as opposed to playing Karn as only this proactive way that, you know, I'm going to try and lattice lock you or playing him as a combo piece, you know? <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I haven't thought about it too much. I guess I guess you could. I mean, I'm thinking about it more in the current moment just because I'm looking at these metagame breakdowns and he is just nowhere. And that, that baffles me because I feel like he was one of the big players coming out of War of the Spark right before Horizons. And then since Horizons came out, it's been all Ren and Six and the maneuvering between the top decks of like how we have to position our strategies well, to fend off this new metagame, and he has fallen off the map. So I think here's here's the thing is uh, Karn doesn't really protect himself, right? Yeah. Follow me on this. Uh, yep. Karn doesn't protect himself, right? And look at the de top decks. They're going underneath of, of a turn two Karn, you know? If I play a uh, Delver of Secrets and your and your starting plan is to say uh, I'll chalice you on one, I'm like okay, well that's bad. And then your next turn is uh, I'll play Karn. Karn doesn't do anything to Delver of Secrets if it's in play, you know. Um, you know the the later the game, if 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 you have your nut hand, which is you know the the chalice on one, Karn on two situation, and I don't have any way of interacting with it, yeah, you're probably in good shape. But Karn doesn't have any great way to protect itself from a threat that's already on the board. So mm -hmm. if if your plan is like I'll play Karn, I'll go get uh, Microsynth Lattice, and I'll lock you out of the game, it's not going to do a lot uh, because it's eventually Karn will be off the board. Yeah. Okay. And and yeah. you've already taken you know like maybe four damage from uh from Ancient Grudge and, or Ancient Tomb. So you uh, think right now the the meta is. It's going too underneath hostile, it. Who too hostile to the board for Karn to be able to be a reasonable yeah. chess piece? Yeah, and and look at like the uh, like if we look at just the top four decks, right? Like, is it Delver Team or Delver? Miracles can either easily counter it or just doesn't care about a Blood Moon chal or a Chalice, right? Uh, and then Elves is is another one of those decks that like has has a guy down. Yeah, eh, maybe you're right. Yeah, maybe you're, I mean I, the metagame would reflect that you're right. Yeah, I mean I'm, I'm just I, that, that's what I'm taking from looking at the metagame. I don't know because I haven't played against a, a Karn yet. I don't know if that's that's the case exactly, but that seems that seems like the most logical story behind this is that putting a Karn into play on turn two or you know more likely on like turn three or turn four, right? Uh, but putting a Karn into play on turn two that you can't protect doesn't doesn't do much. Like, cool, you have a Mycosynth lattice in your hand. Uh, that's neat, but so saying, unless like, you can follow that up with another Karn, it's not a whole lot's going to happen. Yeah, and you and it, from the position of saying that Chalice, it's it, he's part of the Chalice deck, and there's no separating those two. You also think that there's no separating Karn from Soul Lands. No, I I, that, I don't that, think you can. Premise? I don't think you can play him out outside of Soul Lands. Um, but like I said, there is a possibility of just being like, oh, you know what? We're going to replace 
all the Jaces. Jace does protect himself as as a as a duh. Uh, J you, maybe I'll take two Jaces out of my uh uh miracles deck because Jace isn't great right now. Well, I, we were talking with Nate last week, and Nate said that he's every time he's he sees Jace, a Jace right? now, yeah. he's he's just uninterested. He's just kind of laughed it off. Yeah. Because there's a bunch of ways to check it now with one people playing more burn, but then also Narset taxing the brainstorm aspect. Sure. And it well, just being slower than those three. I mean, drops. what if I what if I took this uh this is uh the seventh place SCG classic. Uh uh so it's running uh three snaps, two mentor, two Narset, two Teferi Time Raveler, and two Jace. What if I took those two Jace out and threw uh two Karns in and put uh you know a, a lattice in, in the board would uh, would that increase my my win percentage occasionally probably you know yeah. like what does your opponent just auto scoop if you play if you play uh a uh micasynth lattice with a car now i think he does uh in a lot of matchups where you can control the board with like this deck can control the board you know you can you can terminus all the threats off the board and then like slam uh you know slam a karn you know yeah, I guess I was trying to see there's like the people were experimenting. I know Nate was experimenting with Bomberman but, uh, when Karn was spoiled and saying mm -hmm. that, that it was pretty nutty, but it had the issue of, you know, it would just draw the wrong portion of its deck sometimes and do nothing. Yeah. And then there would be other times where it just, you know, straight up nuts. Uh, uh, you're now locked out for the rest of the game really early. And the fact that that was a that's a 4X mentor deck uh, with. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm. I was like curious to see if there was some kind of blend between uh, being a more proactive Miracles deck, but I guess Miracles is kind of already doing that since it's getting yeah. a bunch of prison pieces. Yeah, and it's and, and like you know, Miracles is is like already doing like the the mentor plan again. Like they're already back to to mentor and stuff. Yeah, I'm like pretty much just trying to brew a, a worse Miracles. I mean, I don't know. I think you could. I I, I would like to see somebody try try taking out the Jaces. And putting in uh, two two cards and just see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking uh, along the lines of if the format is wide open, that being a volume based deck with AKs or uh, any of the card advantage engines, as opposed to being card selection mm -hmm. as a way to control the board, whether it's with Nar uh, Narset, whether it's with uh, Karn or any you know, type of like, I don't know, like trinket mage or something that I'm thinking of trinket mage. Cause he was in the, uh, the, the mono blue deck that you had brought up before that top yeah. eight tournament, um, as a way to be the control deck. Like I will just react by tutoring for whatever I need at any given moment. But I don't know. It's something, I guess I'll, I'll actually put work into seeing if that's a, you know, a possibility. you know what also like Karn Karn has going for it is it doesn't get hit by pyroblast. I, I just like Karn as, uh, the if you if you're trying to play the threat that doesn't care about any of the other things that people are doing, you know, like the the one you said that he doesn't protect himself on an uh, at all, which is fair unless you're you have more than four mana and can tutor an artifact out of the board to uh, help you in whatever given scenario. And um, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the card that came to mind that's cheap is like Meekstone locking down any of your opponent's tap threats. Yeah, like uh, that Meekstone stops True Name Nemesis. Stops True Name, <laughs> stops like a Delver in the area, anything like that. But uh, barring that, I mean, going up to six loyalty, uh, maybe it's not as impressive when you have to spend four mana to get him there. But, you know, Jace ticking up to prevent getting hit by Bolt up to five versus Karn just going right up to six. 
Yeah. I don't know. I'm looking at like, man, D and T maybe could move into a, a style of deck where post board, they can just move into Karn. Whoops. I win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think D and T's biggest problem with playing Karn is the fact that like, it's not trying to get like, it, it's totally happy to have to lock you out with wasteland and, uh, and port. But yeah. most of its mana is is fake being spent inside of a a, a aether vial. So you're not like, you know, a, a deck that like wants to top deck lands, and you're not playing any way to like aside from this Karn, you're not playing any way to mess around with your library or your sideboard for that matter. That's that's actually an interesting take though. I wonder if there's other mana cheats that can be played alongside wasteland and port that would be appealing to. Because if you have all that colorless, uh, all those colorless lands in your deck, that Karn becomes appealing. If that's a card that we believe is yeah. powerful enough to build around, I wonder if there's other. I haven't explored that, but that's that's really in- intriguing to me. I wonder if there's other mana cheats like Aether Vial that you can move into to do that. There's a Planewalk, Planeswalker Aether Vial. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought of like As Foretold, but that's another sorcery speed thing that doesn't do anything. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. It's I'm sorry I tangented us all on this uh, Karn talk, but no, no, no. I, I got really interested for a moment because he's nowhere, and I I thought he was super powerful because anytime I played against him, uh, or that I have played against him, I I am just brutally scared of that card. The fact that it's just impending. I, I mean, mean that's that I'm constantly playing control decks, and uh, it's scarier because I can't you know tax him on the table as as well. But. That's a card I would kill as soon as it came into play. I would definitely not allow my opponent to continue. Uh, you know, activating it. I don't care what what they were actually up to. I would definitely be afraid the game was going to be over in a couple of turns. Yeah. Because not being able to use your mana seems terrible. Yeah, I was trying. I wonder <laughs> if there was like, I don't know, Prismatic Vista opening up the fact that you can get like wastes, and then I was like, oh, does wastes become an intriguing second color to look into? But at that point, I guess you'd be better off playing those utility lands. But if you're looking at a metagame where it's increasingly hostile towards non-basics. Uh, there's a lot of factors going into it. I got to shape my thoughts a little bit better on that, uh, on this idea of where Karn might be able to slip in here. Yeah. I uh, like it in Miracles, honestly. Like, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, well, if, if Jace isn't the card to play, you know, throw this into Miracles. Yeah, I mean, now that Counterbalance, I mean, Counterbalance is still seeing some amount of play. I guess it should actually go back up in play if so many people are playing Delver. Yeah, but I mean... It People makes are sense. Moving, moving their threats more towards the Planeswalkers because they're just, you know, more uniquely powerful than counterbalances uh, in a uh, metagame where people's CMCs were going up. But if we're moving back towards Delver, I mean, looking at Delver decks at the moment, they're, what, over 10% of the field in both in both cases? Yeah. Or in both uh, Legacy Breakdown, Legacy Metagame Breakdown? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're looking at uh, about 12%... Uh... In uh, MTG Goldfish and Blue Red Delver, uh, yeah, it's ten. It's ten percent. Are there any other two card Monty combo decks that you think are picking are going to pick up from the London Mall that uh, other than Show and Tell? I mean, we were talking before about the the like OG two card Monty of like Void, Leyline of the Void plus Helm, but I I don't see it, man. I think you're, you're just better off. Like when you can when you can two card Monty into Blood Moon, you lose. I think I'd just rather be doing that, right? Yeah, you're making me think uh, of 
card like the the fringy ideas of of cards like that uh i know we got some uh, feedback on people wanting to discuss uh teferi time raveler as a board card for combo decks the way infect had implemented it to win that classic mm -hmm. do you think that combo decks that could or should splash white the way they used to splash green for abrupt decay should do so because teferi is worth it it's tough man i think you should just play veil of summer instead you think veil of summer is the way to go over that yeah I, I played against it a bunch uh, last week. I played a I played a uh, like a local vintage event, and watching people get like Veil of Summer to like counter an abrupt decay and then make sure your opponent can't counter anything and just like go off was I was like oh that card's yeah I mean I'm glad we talked about it but wow that card is something else. Oh, okay, so you 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 actually think the the white splash idea for Teferi was short lived because then they just printed Veil of Summer, which you think is better in the decks that would want to be doing that. Uh, well, not necessarily. I think that in Infect, Teferi's better. I think in Storm, Veil of Summer's better. I see. Okay, so you're... Oh, interesting. Okay. Is that just primarily because Infect is going to care more about... Isn't a, a volume-based deck? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, to spend one mana, you're going to go off that turn, right? Like, uh, and, and you don't always go off that turn with Infect. Um, so you can play Tefri for three mana, you know, on turn two or whatever, and, and follow it up with, like, a, a two one or two turn play um, that your opponent may or may not have the ability to deal with because they can still cast removal spells on their turn, right? Yeah. So you have to have a guy in play unless it's uh, uh, an Ink... Uh, Ink Moth Nexus, they still have a turn to target your guy, right? Whereas, like, with Storm, you can basically be like, okay, I'm going to cast my first Dark Ritual, and your opponent's like, I will counter that. You're like, you can't, I draw a card, and now I'm going off. Yeah, I guess that cantrip is pretty hot. It's it's pretty big, yeah. I'm just doing a quick search of Veil of Summer for Legacy decks, and it has not shown up at all yet. That's not surprising. It's it's still early, but I I, yeah. I mean we haven't seen a lot of 2020 cards yet. But that's I think, fair. I guess M20 hasn't had enough room to breathe yet. Yeah, I think that you're you're gonna see that as a, an answer. To, like you can use that over uh what's it called uh Xanthid Swarm, you know. Yeah, I, I I guess it is true that the only times that you'd be bringing in Xanthid Swarm, it's going to be against decks that are going to be casting blue and black spells against you anyway. Yeah. Xanthid yeah, Swarm is, is good against decks that normally re use removal but side it out. Um, and then it sort of puts them on, like, if if you can't go off. I had a guy had three Xanthid Swarms out against me one time, and I was just like, this is awesome. Uh, I'll let it all resolve, you know. And then he ne he didn't draw enough in his deck. But, like, Veil of Summer reacts to what your opponent's doing by by countering his counter and draws you a card. Then, you know, then your plan's still happening, you know? Yeah. I think it's better to uh, try and go off and watch your opponent be like, all right, I'm going to try and stop that. And then you're like, no, you can't. And then draw, you, and then you get to draw a card, right? And then you can still continue doing what you were doing versus like, I play this on turn one. Hopefully you cited out all your removal and like, oh, I'm just wasting a card slot. Like you yeah. don't get card parity on that. I guess if you, I guess if splashing green is already what you're in, you're, looking to do anyway if you were going to be playing abrupt decay for permanent base hate like yep. 
Gaddock Teague and Dahlia and things like that, then I guess it does make sense to just play the cheaper card. And if you are going to have that mana to duress them anyway, you can just combo out and just use that reactively the way they used to sometimes board Flusterstorm. Yeah, and yeah. it's good yeah, because you, it you, works you, against Flusterstorm too. Yeah, you've talked me into it. That's That seems more reasonable than Teferi. I mean, uh, to, I, I, mean uh, I don't think... I don't know the decks well enough, uh, but Tess doesn't really run green, right? It's just it's just red based. But what doesn't run green? T uh, the Epic Storm, right? No, they would splash green okay. for. I mean, at least versions that I've seen, and by that I mean I'm just looking at uh, pretty much Bryant and yeah, the people say, that grew along Bryant, time. he'll know. <laughs> yeah, right? he. I, I don't know where his current list sits, but he. I mean, I've definitely seen him cast many an abrupt decay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Abrupt decay, of course. I don't know what I was yeah. thinking there, but yeah, exactly. So that I think that uh, Veil of Summer is is a card that like will definitely be uh, the bane of of my existence as a rug player go going forward. Looking at other combo decks that might be interested in Teferi Time Raveler, this one's actually really interesting. Uh, so uh, about a month ago, I'm looking at a, a legacy event where a guy uh, played uh, Katsuji Ryu, played Omni Show, old school, just mono blue okay. Omni Show, except instead of going into red for a sneak attack, he just added white with prismatic vistas to play Teferi Time Ravelers. So he's playing a deck over the 19 land suite, everything that you expect, except he's running no non-basic lands outside of the soul lands. Mm-hmm. He's running five islands, two planes, and then all four prismatic vistas alongside four flooded strand. The entire suite of Omni Show, as you remember it, your uh, intuition impulses is flex slots. You have your cunning wishes, mm -hmm. uh, inboard fluster storm, and alongside it, he is running three kind of three to fairy time ravelers with a main board back to basics. Okay, that's actually that seems like a really interesting space for Teferi to go into a combo deck. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that if if you see that, it's a must counter card, right? Like, you can't let Teferi Time Raveler hit the board if you know that your opponent is going to be uh, wanting you to not interact with him on your turn. With you know, yeah. The other thing that I uh, find interesting about it is it does give you a way to interact with the board in your combo deck. Yeah. You like can bounce. I mean, it's basically like a abrupt decay in that in that sense. Bounce that thing, draw a card, even you know, like. Yeah, I I actually like this in a deck where it's, I guess it, I guess this is sort of similar to Infect, where it doesn't need volume to win because you can kind of chip in damage with Infect and then kill on low resources, mm -hmm. and this one just really only needs one card. Except if you stick it to Fairy, then the game becomes about to Fairy if they know that you're playing a combo deck. Because yeah. it will it will blank their hand unless they fight over it, and then they have to devote all of their resources to getting it off the board to turn on their hand. Yeah, and decks Otherwise, that can't just use... them. Yeah, and decks that can't play duress, I think that's fine. Well, the other thing that I think is really cool about adding Teferi into a combo deck like this is moving into white and not feeling like you're getting punished for it because uh, the the color cost of the deck being blue isn't color intensive. Everything it's casting is only requires a blue mana. Yeah, uh, is all of the of the board cards that you get in white are just so much better than what you would get out of things in like sneak and show. Yeah, it's one of the. I mean, white is the is the best sideboard color. I I think. I'm talking like this deck. He can board into monastery mentor. He still has the same like fireman's foresight 
combo kill at instant speed off once you put an omniscience into play. But then he gets rest in peace. Uh, obviously, what I said, mentor. He gets to move uh, play some disenchants. Uh, not containment priest. <laughs> not containment priest. No, no, no. Don't, don't, don't do that. I mean, unless you're boarding out your emeralds. But I mean, moving into white in this deck. I mean, I've seen we've seen like, excuse me, blue black versions of show and tell. Mm-hmm. And moving into blue white where you can play the hard lock pieces like back to basics you would get out of miracles, but then just also being the combo deck and threatening like, all right, here's my Teferi Time Raveler against literally any of the other decks that are pressuring you on the board. They have to fight over it, and then if they don't, you can bounce their threat. And that's a perfect example of a deck that works really well with Prismatic Vista as well. Yeah, no, being able to play eight flooded strands in a deck like this is really interesting. Yeah. So I, I maybe that's where Teferi Time Raveler and Combo should go. Like people have already shown that it's got promise and infect, and it's proven it's been provable there because you already wanted white. And then moving away from uh, Red uh, Volcanic Island and Sneak Attack, you can just play Teferi in your deck. Where I don't know, it's argued we were talking about it before with Nate that playing more omniscience is. is Probably better. Yeah. Yeah, I would explore that. Yeah. So all, all the all the the peeps that were asking where we think Teferi Time Raveler should go in combo. Obviously, Infect has been proven, but I think it might be really strong to play alongside Show and Tell. Yeah, I I don't disagree. Um. Yeah, I think. I don't know. I, I think that might be it for us this week. I, I, I'm trying to see if there's anything else that, like is worth talking about, and I kind of think that stopping at Teferi Time Raveler is probably a good spot. Yeah, this episode has gotten me thinking about where else we could use homes for these cards that didn't have as much time to really explore anything outside of the, in, the obvious homes because Modern Horizons kind of came in and took its thunder. And what we got Whether Commander 2019 coming up in how much time? Yeah, that which is just nutty. August 23rd. So like when I come back from Gen Con, we'll probably already be talking about you know Commander 2019 and and you know there's got to be at least one or two things in there that's like worth talking about. And Commander 2019 means that talking about what the um, the those two big legacy tournaments in September are going to look like might be just upended again. Yeah. Because we're probably going to get some you know, ridiculous commander cards that are going to get thrown in here and mess everything up. It'll be interesting right, to see. It looks like I got to, I got to put in some work and see where our Karn can go, but yeah, uh, I would definitely take a look at this Teferi time Rabbler omniscience deck. Yeah. I'll put a link to that in the, uh, in the show notes. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll send it to you right now. Sounds good. Uh, I want to, before we head out, uh, I want to thank everybody, uh, all of our Patreon supporters. We got some uh, people that up their pledges this week, which is really awesome. I'd love to see some new people. That'd be cool. Um, I've got some more t-shirts to send out. Um, if you're into having a uh, Eternal Dirtles t-shirt to rep at your next event, uh, if you pledge with us on Patreon, you get over $20 of pledges accrued during your time. We'll send you a shirt. And um, not just because I'm biased, I obviously am, but the the ED t-shirts are actually really good. Yeah, like I, they're I, they're actually super comfortable. They're they're yeah they're not like Gildan like style like you know like I I wear them and I don't feel like uh, my my skin's gonna rub off from the inside of my shirt. Or that you can feel the print just like grinding against your skin because yes. it was just like glued on. Yeah. Yeah, they do a pretty these, good. These job. are actually really nice. Um. All right. Well, uh, I'll tell you what. I'll see you next week. Thanks Sounds for good. listening, everybody. 
Where does he get those wonderful toys? 